0: I mentioned this morning that uh, today we would be looking at the subject of trust, and we began this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in those verses that how Paul told us that the sentence of death that he had felt within himself, that the Lord had actually given him that in order to keep him from trusting in himself. Uh, that he would trust in God. And so we're thankful that our God is worthy of trust tonight, and we're tempted in life to trust in ourselves, our experiences, our tradition, our track record, and uh, but we must trust in Him tonight. And then I mentioned that we'd be looking at the 73rd Psalm tonight, and so that's where we're going to go uh, for the reading of God's Word in Psalm 73. So if you have a copy of God's Word, if you will uh, find your place there tonight and we will read in the 73rd Psalm. At the end of service tonight, we'll read our financial report and then I think we have one church letter, a request for a church letter. We'll take care of that uh, tonight. And then remember, Lord willing, on next Sunday morning, Brother Brother Cameron Dula will be here to preach in the morning service. And so you pray for him and looking forward to uh, hearing what he has, what the Lord has given to him uh, for us, Psalm seventy-three. There's twenty-eight verses. I wasn't able to do as much reading this morning as I normally uh, do, and so I just I want to take a few moments and read this entire psalm, Psalm seventy-three. This psalm is one of those that has a very obvious change, a very obvious change of tone, and in the first uh, 14 or 15 verses, all the way really through verse 16, uh, you will see the psalmist expressing uh, his uh, despair, the questions that he has about what's happening in the world around him. And then in verse 17, things take a turn. That's often the way the Psalms are. but This is one that is very obvious, and I hope that you will think about your particular relationship to God and trust as we read this psalm this evening. Follow with us Psalm 73, verse number 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places." Thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors, as a dream when one awaketh. And so, O Lord, when Thou awakest, Thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before Thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee, thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For, lo, they that are far from the from thee shall perish, thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works." As I just mentioned this morning, we looked at Paul's words to the Corinthian Church about how when we live under the pressure of life, how when we live under the tribulation and the difficulties of life, that we have a God of all comfort, a God who comes alongside of us, a God who strengthens us, who upholds us, who guides us. The apostle told the church there that he wanted to share his troubles with them, in order that they not be ignorant of what He had went through in Asia. And He wanted to do that so He could share with them how God had comforted Him, and maybe they in turn be comforted, and also so they could pray for Him and be helpers with Him in prayer. That is in the New Testament. Tonight we come back to the Old Testament where the psalmist is writing about his view of the world in which he lives, his view of the wicked, his view of those who know not God and how they are making it, how they're progressing, how they're prospering, and what effect that has upon him as he's trying to live for the Lord. It may say in the superscription of this psalm under Psalm 73, your Bible may say that this is a psalm of ASAP, and that is what most agree upon. If that is the case, he is mentioned in the book of the Chronicles, he was one of the leaders of temple worship, which makes this psalm that more interesting. If he was, and if this was written by ASAP, we have no reason to believe it wasn't, then ASAP would be one of the temple worship leaders who led the singing, who led choirs in the services of worship and who could have, most likely did, compose music for the people of God to sing when they gathered to worship. We take all of that for granted when we come and sing together, but behind every song we sing there has been someone who composed that song, and sometimes those songs are composed out of heartache and trouble. Sometimes they're composed out of rejoicing and joy. Sometimes they're composed based on what we have learned about God, what the writer has learned about God, and sometimes they're composed based upon what the individual questions about God or wonders about His own life. So ASAP. I think it's interesting that uh, because throughout this psalm, at least the first 15 verses, uh, the content here would be one that would really be challenging for a congregation to sing. We did not stand and sing tonight about how corrupt the world was. We didn't stand and and talk about how the world sets their mouth against heaven or about how the wicked are prospering. We didn't sing about any of that tonight. But if this was sung, that would have been part of the content in which it was sang. There are songs that you know about and songs you have heard sung down through the years that do talk about that and about how the world seems to prosper while God's children seem to suffer, and that is not just supposition, that is often the way that it is. But this psalm would not have stirred up the congregation. Nobody would have been patting their feet or clapping their hands when they heard ASAP give the content of what he's thinking about in relation to trusting God. Most people want songs that are upbeat, songs to take their mind off of the realities of life, but ASAP has composed something here that reminds us where most of us live from time to time, and that is looking around us at the world and wondering how the world is getting by, how the wicked are doing what they're doing, and seemingly God is inactive in any kind of retribution or judgment against them, and yet we sometimes struggle in trusting God. With all of that said, this is There's nothing wrong with this psalm. This is not a psalm you would have thrown out of the hymn book. It is actually encouraging. It reminds us tonight that as God's people, we can gather together and we can express to God exactly the questions of our heart and exactly what it is that may or may not be challenging our faith. Whenever you have questions or despair or whenever you're going through times when it's difficult to trust God You can ask God about that. You can come to Him, and you can pour that out unto Him. So this is what is happening in this psalm. Asap's the kind of man you would have liked to have met, and you would have liked to have said, why did you write what you wrote in the first 16 verses of this? Were you really experiencing that? Were you really questioning that? Were you really trusting God at that point? And I think Asap would have been the individual who would have told you exactly what you've asked, he would have said, yes, I was looking at all of this, and I was wondering about all of this, and I wondered about how it is to really trust God when it looks like everything around you is going in the opposite direction. I lived a fairly simple life growing up. I lived on a dirt road for 12 years of my life. There's not a lot of young people in here tonight, but if you don't know what that is, you can Google it. Uh, I grew up on a dirt road. I actually attended the first 11, 12 years of my life. I attended a church that had a gravel parking lot that was an extension of a man's cornfield. I lived a very simple life. We got the paper that came, uh, you know, every few days. And the amount of information that you take in, or that I took in in that kind of lifestyle, was very limited. It's one you almost covet now, isn't it? If you could just cut all of that information off. But we live in a world now where anything moves. If your child moves from the living room to the kitchen, they send you a text or they post that so you will know that they've moved. We're bombarded with information. We see the world on on every level. We see it in in 3d color we get messages about it headlines are constantly there's no news anymore everything is breaking news everything you know the sun will come up in the morning that'll be a special red letter weather day they'll let you know the sun comes up in the morning all of that stuff is magnified I don't know where ASAP got his news, but it seems as if ASAP is looking in this psalm at everything that it is it is headline, it is everything is just magnified in his eyes and it's causing an effect upon his trust in God. The first 10 years of my life, the two things that I remember most that were really big news stories that I remember still to this day was President Kennedy's assassination. And I've shared with you before uh, uh, three members of a six-member family in my home church, the Dobson family. Three of them were killed one afternoon, all in an accident. Those are the two things that stood out to me in my life for most of my life. Those were the big things that were talked about for years and years, and I've never forgotten them. But tonight, we carry the trouble of everyone on the planet. We carry the burdens of everything happening in life. It's hard to go there to escape those things. It's hard to be a part of life and to avoid those things. You have to really make an effort to do that. The world can be a difficult place. It was for ASAP, and he wrote a psalm about it. Listen to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 8, verse 22 of his prophecy. He says this, And they shall look unto the earth, and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Isaiah said if you look at the world, it's a place of darkness and a place of anguish and trouble. Writing in Ecclesiastes 2.17, Solomon in his wisdom says this, I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He's in the same grain that Asap is in here. When he says, I look at the world and it's empty and it's vexation. Solomon said this before there were any news outlets or any internet. ASAP came to this conclusion before there was any headline news in his day. He came to this conclusion in Psalm 73 because in his small circle of life's experiences, he's seen the same thing that we're seeing tonight. Although we see it in greater measure and greater depth, this world has not changed. Nothing's new under the sun. We still live in a world that is depressing and a world in which it looks like the wicked are going to get by with everything they've ever done in a world in which it looks like when you're standing for truth that it really isn't worth it anymore that's where asap is coming from i can't tell you tonight if this man was bitter but i can tell you tonight he was bewildered i can't tell you tonight if he is just angry but i can tell you tonight he is anguished over what he sees in life and And really, you and I are the same if we're truly serious about living for God. It was the prophet Jeremiah who said in Lamentations, Mine eye affecteth mine heart. He said, I'm seeing things that affect my heart. And if what you're seeing tonight in this world does not affect your heart, then you're obviously not seeing the reality of the world in which we live. Many of us don't have to even look out into the world, even within the... Even within the closeness of our own families and our own loved ones, we see things tonight that we question and we wonder, and it can cause us to mistrust God. Look with me tonight at this psalm in verse 1. Notice something unusual about this. The psalm begins with a conclusion. That's kindly strange. Truly, God is good to Israel. Now here's a man who's about to tell you that his feet have almost slipped. He's about to tell you how envious he is of the wicked. He's about to tell you that he don't understand why they get by with things. He's a man who's going to question whether it pays to even serve and live for God. He's going to write this in a psalm to be sung. And, but yet he starts off with what he knows. This man's theology is accurate, but he's living in a world that is very much real. And he's putting pressure on what he knows to be true. He says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. He will question in a few verses the productivity or whether it's worth it to even live clean anymore. But he knows in his heart, he knows in his mind, he has his theology correct, that God is good to his people you can know truth, and you can have your theology right, and there will still be temptations to trust. There will still be pressure put on you from time to time to really believe and really trust and lean upon the Lord who you know is good to His people. Bottom line tonight, God's been nothing but good to His people, and He's good to us He is a God who helps us and sustains us. So he says, truly, God is good to Israel. In his sermon on faith and doubt, in his sermon synopsis, Dr. Joel Gregory says this, and I quote, by placing this conclusion at the beginning, it implies that Asaph may have had a previous struggle of the soul, end quote. What he's saying is, when you see a man make that kind of conclusion... It probably is telling you he's been down before, and God proved Himself. And so even though he's down again, he knows in his heart just how good God really is. And that's good for all of us to remember tonight. There's very few people listening to me who have not been where this man is. And you've maybe not been there many times, but you've been there sometimes. And some of us have been there many times, and so even though we start with our questions of mistrust, we do so knowing in our heart that our God's still good whether we understand it or whether we don't. That's what he's saying. Verse 1 reminds us that there are truths about God which cannot be shaken. They cannot be shaken in the prophet Isaiah's world. They cannot be shaken in the psalmist Asap's world. They cannot be shaken in Solomon's world. They cannot be shaken in the Apostle Paul's world, in the city of Corinth, as we looked at this morning. And they cannot be shaken tonight in Caldwell County in 2023. There are some things about God that in the morning will still be. There are some things about God that tomorrow evening will still be. No matter whether we are questioning or singing His praise, He doth not change. He is the God that remains the same. And thank God He's good to His people. And he looks after his own. Listen what Jeremiah said about this in Jeremiah 12. He says this. He starts off with a conclusion. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? He's talking to God about the very same thing that Asaph is talking to God about. He is saying, Lord, you are righteous, but I want to talk to you about your righteousness. Lord, you are a God who judges righteously, but I want to talk to you about not judging righteously. That's kind of the way we live. Lord, you are a God like you said you were, but I want to talk to you for a few moments about who you really are. Lord, you're a God who loves me, but I want to talk to you about not feeling love. Lord, you're a God who never leaves me, but I want to talk to you about feeling alone. Isn't that life? Isn't that the way it goes? Thank God tonight for the conclusion that ASAP began with. And most of us tonight, even in our praying and even in our questions, we still do that with a conclusion. I know the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me but I like to talk to him sometimes about when I feel alone. I know the Lord has been faithful to me, but I need to talk to him about those times that it seems like he's nowhere around. Asap is no atheist. He's no agnostic. He declares the goodness of God. And if you look at the close down in verse 25 through 28, when he gets to the end of this, he comes back to God's goodness, the wrongness of doubting it, and how the good God has brought him back to the same conclusion that He had to begin with. That's the Christian life. God in His grace, when we are put under pressure to trust Him, when He's finished with us, He brings us back to the same confidence we had in Him to begin with. It's just like Thomas said, and Peter said, and the other apostles said, and it's just like Peter said, Jesus said, where are you going to go? And He said what? To whom shall we go? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. This is the psalmist Asap. This is him. He is is saying, you're good to your people. And now I want to talk to you for 14 or 15 verses about how I questioned that. And when God's done, he says, you are truly good to your people. You see, we come back to the same conclusions whenever we still can't answer all the questions. But not only notice his conclusion in verse 1, but in verse 2 through 16, just an aerial view of this, notice his observations. Notice what it is that that ASAP is observing here. Now, he's to be admired for his theology in verse number 1, but he's also to be admired for his honesty in verse 2 through 16. He is saying that what I know keeps me with you, but what I see causes me to question and it causes me to maybe doubt He is telling us very clearly in this psalm what he sees and how what he sees makes him feel he is scared he feels like the very foundations are slipping out from under him verse 2 but as for me truly God I know about you but as for me my feet were almost gone my steps had well nigh slipped. You may not remember this, but one of the greatest messages ever preached from this text that I ever heard was preached from this pulpit in the Bible conference in the seventies by Dr. Thad Daddle over, uh, over in town at College Avenue. He preached on a man who had been to the edge and back. I have remembered that. Every time I read this text, I remember that. That's where Asaph said, My feet had well nigh slipped. He feels like everything's stable underneath him is somehow slipping away. He admits he feels unstable and the facts of life are so vivid around him that it, that it threatens the very essence and the very reality of his faith. Now, we're not supposed to admit that because we're super spiritual, right? We're supposed to sing and shout all the time and never admit that we have these same questions. I remind you, this man is writing this psalm, composing this piece of music to be sung, to be presented. And he says, this is how I truly feel. And then he elaborates what fueled this. Notice, it appeared to him in verse 3 that unbelievers were doing very well in life outwardly. They seemed to be prosperous. I know unbelievers tonight who are doing very well. They do not give to the church. They do not come to church. They do not live for Christ. They cuss. They swear. And they are doing great. As a matter of fact, they have stuff in their garage that you can't afford. They are going places on vacation you can only dream about. And they have the things in life that you wish you only had half of. That's what he's saying. They seem to be prosperous. Physically, in verse 4 through 6, they look stronger than God's people. And they seem to be burden free. Burden free. They're not in trouble as other men. They get by with life. So He looks at them outwardly and they're prosperous. He looks at them physically. They look stronger and burden free. And then verbally they speak in verse 8 as if they were God of their own world. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily They'll come into work in the morning with more confidence than the child of God. They speak very proudly and boastfully. ASAP is looking at this in the world. He's looking around him when he ought to be looking above him. And As I said a while ago, we live in a world where we are bombarded by everything that is from without. You do not go home tonight and your phone lit up with all the wonderful preaching that went on today in the house of God. You won't find that. You have to go search for that if you find it. You won't pick up a newspaper in the morning and it tell about all the wonderful things that God did among His people on this Lord's day. You'll you'll be told about all the stuff that the psalmist is talking about, the outward prosperity of the wicked, the the physical prosperity, how they look so strong and and burden-free. A man could have lost his home Friday night and he'll come in whistling Dixie tomorrow at work. He's happy to move on down the road. That's the world we live in. His words in verse 13 indicate he felt as if his living for God was in vain. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. In other words, he says, what good is it for me to keep trying to live pure and keep living by the Word of God? So he's not only envious of the prosperous wicked and troubled by the fact that those who aren't committed to God seem to be getting better in life than he is. He's looking at his own life and he's confused. He's, he's, he's troubled because of his circumstances. And he says, all of this commitment to God has got me nothing. It's done me no good. I've washed my hands. I've kept clean. I've followed the way of truth. And it appears on the surface that it hadn't done me a bit of good. That's where he is in his observations. We don't know how long the psalmist lived in this condition. The text doesn't tell us, but a minute is too long to live in that condition. An hour, a day, a week. But he was there for a certain period of time. Perhaps he had almost decided to stop attending corporate worship at God's house, he had just about wrote that off. But I want you to notice with me thirdly and finally tonight, notice his correction. His conclusion, truly God is good, but then his observation clouds his conclusion. he's, He's churning all this over in his life, but now notice his correction. He says in verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. He said, when I thought to try to figure this and try to work this, I I couldn't handle it. I couldn't make it all right. And then look at that little big word in verse 17, until, 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 until I went into the sanctuary of God. In the Old Testament, that's the place where God's people met with God and that is where they worshipped. And it's interesting how God lets the psalmist say these things before He corrects him. God could have stopped him at any point in the first 15 or 16 verses, but He didn't. God, in His grace, allowed him to say what he's seeing and express what he is feeling. He did that. That's the mercy and grace of our God. And then we notice how the correction starts And the key to this is found in verse 17 and then down in verse number 28. And all of this is based on his theology that he tells us in verse number 1 about he's convinced that in spite of what's happening, that God is a good God. I hope you're convinced of that tonight. And I hope that even in your moments of doubt or your moments of question that you will understand and never forget that God is good to His people. Let me say just a couple things about correction, how we get corrected, how our life gets corrected. First of all, correction always begins with biblical worship. I want you to notice that the whole reorientation of this man's life, the whole reorganization of this man's life begins when he goes to the meeting place where God's people are worshiping God. You say, well, preacher, you say that because you want people to come and worship God. If you've been saved over an hour and a half, you ought to know tonight the importance of God's people worshiping God. There's just amazing things God does for His people when we're assembled to worship and to honor Him. And His whole life becomes reoriented whenever He worships God. Now, if you you sit under preaching or teaching, where all you hear is about the first 15 or 16 verses, well, you can get that on your phone. But if you sit under preaching that magnifies the God who is good to His people, the God who is understanding, the God who allows His people to express our lack of trust and our questions, a God who is merciful and allows us to do that, then you understand the importance of worship begins in the sanctuary. What happens? Well, the first thing that happens is in verse 15. He realizes that if he keeps talking out loud like he has in the first 15-16 verses, if he does that, he realizes that he's gonna discourage other people, and if he walks around with that opinion of life, he's gonna undermine those people who are faithful to God in his own generation. Listen to verse 15. If I say, I will speak thus, in other words, If I keep talking like I've been talking, behold, I'm going to offend the generation of thy children. If I keep talking like I'm talking, I'm going to do damage to the people of God, and I'm going to do damage to those around me. If I keep talking bad about God, and if I make this the motto of everything that comes out of my mouth, if I sing gloom, despair, and agony on me every day, I'm going to affect the faithful. He says, I can't do that. Uh, when I fought to know this, it was too painful. When I looked at how what I think and see and feel, when I look at how that could affect the people of God, He said, I couldn't continue down that road. Our job tonight is to magnify our God. Our, our job tonight is to trust Him. Our job is to make Him big in the sight of God's people. It goes back to what I was saying this morning. Paul said... When you receive the comfort of God, you take that same comfort and you comfort other people who need that comfort. If you do that by quoting the first 16 verses of Psalm 73 and you do that continually, you're not going to help build up anybody. You're going to tear them down. When did Asaph see this? He said, I didn't understand this until I went to the sanctuary and worshipped God, heard the Word of God, and was reminded about the truth of God. Where do we get our encouragement to trust? Thank God we get it when we worship. And we get it from the Word of God. And we get it from the truth of God. This wasn't stuff that the next generation needed to hear. We spend the rest of our life whining about the church and how bad things are. You're going to have a generation come up in the church think things are really that bad. We don't deny reality. The psalmist didn't but he also magnified the greatness of our God. You know, we need to understand by now that everybody who claims to be saved are not going to be faithful to God, but we need to remember that God's going to be faithful to everyone that belongs to Him. These are truths, irrevocable truths. And for the first time, it started in the sanctuary. And Asaph starts thinking about somebody other than himself. He starts thinking about that other generation. You know, my children, my grandchildren, and... All your family, they hear what you say about God. And they hear what you say about His church and about His mercy and grace. So ASAP says, instead of staying on self-focus in the first 13-14 verses, he said, let me think about somebody else. I wonder tonight what other believers think when they hear us talk about our life or talk about God. Now, you say, but wait a minute, preacher, you, you said in the opening of this psalm that this psalm was sung in corporate worship. Yes, and that's the irony of it, because AsAP's questions and troubles were openly known. So was his corrections and refocusing on God. And if you know anything about music and hymnology, if, if, you, if you open up hymn books, you find so, so many hymns written like that, where the author starts out with his trouble and his heartache and he takes you to God and how God has delivered and how God has brought him out of that bondage and that's what asaph does in the text you see in worship asaph realized that God in verse 1 truly God is good to Israel look at verse 28 but it is good for me to draw near to God if God is good and you're drawing near to a good God, then you understand that goodness is not just the stuff of God. Goodness is God Himself, amen? And that's why we need to magnify God in our worship service. It don't do you a lick of good for me to tell you whether or not gas is going to be higher or lower tomorrow. best thing I can tell you to do is drive by the pump and find out. I have no earthly clue what I need to make big to you is the God that we serve. And Asaph said, I know God's good to His people, but he said, it's good for me to draw near to that good God. I've been thinking that goodness is about making money and about having what you want and about your life full of fatness and about you being able to have like all the wicked. But I just found out, Asaph said, that goodness is, it's about being near the good God, and that's what goodness is, being near the good God. I, I don't have everything that other people have in life, but thank God I have a good God. And what could be better than being with and worshiping a good God? He's, there, there, there are no good songs without a good God. There are no good sermons without a good God. There, there is no good fellowship in a church unless we fellowship around our good Lord. The psalmist said, I have understood that this is about God Himself and not all the tapestry that goes with it. Asap realizes that the wicked could lose everything they had that he had envied, but they never have been anywhere near what he has because he has a relationship with a good God. Sometimes we get discouraged looking around us. It's easy to do, and seeing what the wicked have and what others have and how we think some things ought to be dealt with and they're not. Sometimes we do that. But he said, until in that verse, he said there in verse 17, when I got in the sanctuary and I saw their end, when I saw their end, I realized that things were different. All these people that we envy sometimes, you're envying the immediate. You're envying what you see. You're envying what it appears they have. Think about their end. Think about how it's going to be for them. You've probably done the same thing as I've done. I've read the Scriptures. Thank God we have a glorious end awaiting on us. And the wicked cannot say that tonight. And just let me mention this as we close. The psalmist said in Psalm 23, 6, Listen to our end. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a pretty good end for God's people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, and I thank You tonight for the reading of Your Word, the privilege to preach it. I pray tonight You would help me and help all of us here tonight not to focus, Lord, on what's going on around us, but Lord, help us to focus on You. Help us not to be discouraged, envious. Lord, help us not to be jealous over the world. Help us to desire You and You alone because You are a good God. You're a faithful God. And may we truly value worship. May we understand that when we gather as we have tonight, when we gather as we do on the Lord's Day, that it helps us realize that we can't live and talk the way we want to, but we have to come back to the goodness of our God. We thank You tonight for the Apostle Paul, for his words of encouragement this morning. Thank You for the psalmist, for ASAP, for this composure that he wrote down for us that You preserved in Your Word to remind us tonight that You are worthy to be trusted. And Lord, when we ARE prone to wonder, as the hymn writer said, when we're prone to leave the God we love, I pray You would draw us back in mercy and compassion and help us, Lord, to serve You and to love You. Bless all the churches that are gathered tonight in Your name, all the preachers who are preaching the Word, rightly dividing it, all the missionaries, and Lord, all of those that will on tomorrow worship and serve You. and be a witness for You. I pray You would guide their steps and help them and lead them. And As we go our separate ways in a few moments, I pray You would help us, Lord, this week to be witnesses and testimonies of Your goodness and grace. And Lord, as I ask You this morning, I ask again tonight that we would look around this local assembly, we would look around this body and find someone that we could reach out to and pray with and pray for and comfort and help as they go through the pressures and struggles of life. Thank You for saving us, for being any listening that is unsaved. I pray You would have mercy, draw them to You, may they call upon Your name and be saved. We'll thank You and praise You for all You do. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.